It's quarter to three There's no one in the place Except you and me So set em up, Joe I got a little story You ought to know We're drinking, my friend To the end of a brief episode So make it one for my baby And one more for the road Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Joachim Axon. One more blood orange for the road. One last one. A little bit of Frank Sinatra there. I say that it's the last one because I think season one of This Week in Sparkling Water is coming to an end. This is episode 46. I think I'm going to do 50 episodes and that'll be season one. That'll be season one. I'll take a brief hiatus. We'll come back season two. Season two is probably going to be video. That's the plan. We'll see what happens. Everything will be different then. But uh, today is December 30th. And it is common for people to look back on the year when the year is ending. Look back on the season when the season is ending. So that's, I don't know. It was kind of a boring year. It was kind of a boring season. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Yeah. We learned a lot about ourselves. And we learned a lot about our guests. You know? Bunch of episodes with Max Loring. What did we learn? We learned that Celsius is colder than Fahrenheit. But season one's coming to an end, so, you know... Recommend the podcast to a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, but more importantly, I think it's time for you to buy some merchandise. If you've been with me on this journey, buy some Sparkling Water branded merch. And you go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash sparklingwater, and then you can find all of our merchandise. And I'll be putting up some, some more in the coming weeks until we get to episode 50. This is episode 46, four more weeks. This is a countdown. Buy a hoodie, you know, buy a throw pillow for your couch, maybe buy a t-shirt, support the pod, you know. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash sparkling water. Yeah, maybe we should go to a water. One more blood orange for the road. And then season one is over. And then when I come back, everything will be different. Here we go. First one here. Wild CBD, blood orange. 25 milligrams of CBD, broad spectrum hemp extract, THC free. These boys are always good. Yeah, blood orange is delicious. That smell right right away. Oh. What a smell. Oh my god, it's cold, it's sparkling, I'm thirsty, and that's delicious. Mmm. Wow, CBD and blood orange really go hand in hand. Because they're both these sort of like iceberg model of flavor where they have something really fresh sticking up out of the water, and then there's this big brooding dark suggestive thing down there in the in the depths. And it's like a very complex, oh, I just got a weird feeling like, um, I just got a weird feeling like my ex-wife was listening to this episode. Whoa, that's a weird, that's a weird thing that came into my mind there. Oh man, the Titanic. So the blood orange and the hemp flavor, 
they have these different fresh things sticking out of the water, but they're both kind of mostly a bitter, earthy, kind of gross, but delicious, mature flavor. And then under the underwater, they mingle and they meet and they overlap. And you realize that there's actually a, they're actually very similar. And because of that, they're very complementary. The hemp and the blood orange. The undercurrent flavor is actually very similar. Incredible. That is so good. Wild CBD blood orange. You know what? We're giving out another 10 out of 10. Because that is just so delicious. Okay, I'm not going to say anything else about it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shut up and tell you to buy it. Wild CBD, Bend, Oregon. Oh, what else is going on? You know, 2020, or maybe not even 2020, just like the last four weeks, is where I I got back into video games. I played a lot of video games as a teenager, and then I just made this pact with myself at some point that I had to get some stuff going before I could allow myself video games. And you know, this goes hand in hand with the thing I'm saying like that I always think like everything is going to be different next month. So this is me at like, I mean, what I'm uh, 10 years ago, I remember thinking like, oh yeah, I can't play video games right now because I need to just fix up a couple of things first but two months from now my everything will be different and then when my life is on track I can um allow myself a little bit of video games but that never happens that change never happens so for a very long time I just didn't allow myself video games and then um I bought a Nintendo Switch a couple of weeks ago but um I find it really fascinating how the games work with the human brain because I really think that a big part of what we struggle with in society is that every person has a consciousness and consciousness is so complicated and the human brain is so powerful that it has all this excess processing power. A lot of times I'll be, for example, on the bus. Sometimes I take the, the regular bus. And I, I sit there and I I look at it and it's like, there's like 12 people on the bus and all 12 are staring into their phones, playing little phone games. And then you can be all judgy and be like, oh, what have we come to as a, as a species? Oh, we're just staring at our phones. We're such losers. But that's really not how I see it. How I see it is like, here you have these people and they have these really smart brains. And there's no way to turn off your brain. Your brain has all this processing power. And it's always running. And it's very uncomfortable inside of your consciousness to have all this raw extra processing power and to have it remain unused. So therefore, we have come up with these devices like it, it can be the easiest thing, but it can be something with like numbers. Um, so, you know, the first thing you need in a game is sufficient complexity. I think about this in terms of chess a lot, because when you sit down and you play a game of chess, like in the beginning, you have your opening, you have all the pieces, the pieces are in the places where they start out and you move one piece. And then with each moving of a piece, it's like, there's this cascading, enormous decision tree of where the pieces could go. And there's this, this snowballing complexity. Sometimes it gets a little bit more simple at the end when you have very few pieces left. But like the mid-game, where most of the pieces are still on the board and the pieces are in all new places, there's such incredible complexity there where even if you just calculate like four moves out, you are there's like maybe 10 million possibilities of where the pieces can go. You know what I'm saying? And there's something in how we experience thinking about that in the inside of your consciousness when you try to think about all those possibilities where like you can look at where everything is now and you can feel like you're there and you see it with this clarity. And then when you think one step ahead, there's like this 
everything becomes a little bit shaded. It's like you're looking at these ghost pieces where they're a little bit less clear. And then for each next step you think into the future and try to calculate into the future, all the pieces get more and more like fucking faded because you can't really reach that far into the, into the calculation because it's like that's the boundary of how smart you are. You can't calculate 15 steps ahead because that shit's invisible to you. If I'm trying to think five steps ahead, at that point, the opacity of all the pieces is zero, and I can't see anything on the board. And it's like that edge of how, when you push yourself up to the edge of how smart you are, if you, when you push yourself up to the boundary of how far into the calculation you can think, that's where you're using all of your processing power in your brain. And that's like this really comfortable place because when you play tic-tac-toe, you can, you can without, a normal person can without any trouble calculate all possible moves because there are so few of them. And at that point, you don't get to the boundary of what's possible with your brain. And because of that, it's like really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it's too simple. Oh, I love finding myself in that space where I'm pushed up against where I'm thinking about the most complicated thing I can think about. And a good game, the point of a good game is that it scales. So a stupid person can think stupidly about the game and push themselves up to the limit of how complicated they can think. And a genius can push themselves up to their genius boundary of how smart they can be. They can calculate 35 moves into the future and get themselves to that boundary where it, the precipice, where it's just like a cliff, where they can't see further beyond the cliff. It's that cliff, man. Walking up to that cognitive cliff is so comfortable. And a good game can cater to anyone. And then most of us, we find our way, we find ourselves between, you know, the imbecile and the genius. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters in the sense that you're going to be two people in chess, for example, and you're both going to calculate as much as you can. And then based on that, one person will win. And in a way, I mean, that'll, that'll tell you who is better at chess is what that really, really will tell you. But in a way, well, the old idea was for it to tell you who's smarter. And then there's this conversation in chess, in the chess world of, some people think that chess is dead because people study it too much now. If you memorize all the advice from 20 books of chess, then you're a really good chess player without actually calculating a lot or using any sort of creativity. So already like in the 70s, Bobby Fischer, crazy ass Bobby Fischer, thought that chess was dead because he thought it was dying because we just study it too much. And that's not so fun because he really thought it was about this thing where you sit down and actually just look at the board and actually think about it. And because of that, he um, came up with this thing that he called Fisher chess. And then he, you know, Bobby Fisher turned out to be a Nazi. So they didn't want to call it Fisher chess after that because his brand kind of fell apart. Um, so instead, they call it chess 960, where you, at the beginning of the game, you you randomize where the pieces go. And then there are certain guidelines for where, so that the pieces don't end up in totally crazy places. But so there's 960 possible starting positions. And then because the starting positions are different, um, that means that there's no use reading a book on chess because there's nothing to memorize because it's different every time. It's not realistic to read 20 books on 960 vari variants, 20 books on each variant. That's not realistic. So in that kind of chess, random chess, you really just sit down and it's a blank slate and you look at where the pieces are and you think about it and you use your creativity and you try to calculate as far forward into the move decision tree that you can with your brain. And then you get to your cognitive cliff and then, you know, the winner is the person who, whose cognitive cliff is furthest out. And, you know, in some sense, 
I think that's the biggest thing about games, that cognitive cliff. And um, and then you have like high budget video games on these expensive platforms and the graphics look incredible and all that stuff. But none of that stuff matters if the game doesn't have sufficient complexity to the point where your entire brain is engaged and you get to that comfortable boundary of how much you can think. If you're, if you have a bunch of, because sometimes you'll play a game and you won't enjoy it because it's too simple and you just feel yourself wanting to think harder. Do you ever feel that? You just feel yourself wanting to think harder, but the game is not asking you to think very hard and you have more processing power than the game needs in your brain. And that extra unused processing power, man. Because you really don't need a lot of graphics to use up all the processing power of the human brain. Like, you can come up with a lot of simple games that fit on a, that can be in black and white on a little phone screen. And they can be complex enough to use up all the processing power of a human brain. But I just think it's so interesting to think about it like that instead when you when you're on the bus and there's 12 people and they're all staring at their phones like what you have is 12 people and they each have a consciousness and the consciousness is like the result of billions of years of evolution and it's the idea is that that's the human consciousness is like the most complex consciousness on the planet so you have 12 of the most complex things on the planet sitting here on the bus and the the thing about the bus and everything else in modern society is that we try to make everything as easy as possible for ourselves. That's where the contradiction is. Because our brain is most comfortable when it's fully in use. So back in the day, you know, when you were a caveman and you were just walking through the forest and you were like trying to figure out if something is chasing you, trying to figure out if there's something you can make a weapon out of, your brain is completely in use. And like you're looking for sharp objects. You're thinking like, could I put this stick together with this like piece of piece of obsidian, super sharp rock? Like this fucking lava magma rock. Could I sharpen this rock and put it on this, this stick with the, some twine that I made? And you try to troubleshoot and problem solve. And your brain is in use and your brain is like comfortable being in use. You might be anxious, you know, you might be afraid, you might have all these other problems, but your brain is in use. And then as we attach that rock to that stick in a million different ways and made more complex machines for ourselves and made society more comfortable, we got to the point where we have all these amenities and we don't actually need our own problem solving for anything. Like today you can get a job and your job can be something that does not use all of your processing power. And that job can feed you. And you can basically, an average intelligence pers person can go through all of life and never use their own processing power. And they'll always be uncomfortable for it. If there was a problem to solve before you could take the bus or while you're on the bus that was so complex that we had to use our whole whole mind to solve that problem paradoxically we'd be more comfortable but i mean we figure it out because we just keep our phones on us and anyway let's go to another water all right so what you got here is queen city hemp blood orange cbd seltzer yeah i mean it has potential to be just as good as the wild cbd does not have potential to be better though because that was very good Ooh, that's a darker smell Ooh, that's mysterious Ooh, i feel like i'm at some sort of ooh, some sort of traveling circus from the 15th century Ooh, people from the continent took their horses up and their circus carts and brought us the smell. Okay, let's uh, let's try it. Okay, so not very the bubbles aren't very good. 
that's very flat. And it has the Queen City hemp. The thing that they always do is it tastes like weed a lot. Um, so that's not as balanced. That just isn't as balanced because the weed aspect of it is running away from the blood orange flavor. Whereas in the wild CBD, they work in perfect tandem. Really, the wild CBD is mostly blood orange, and that's how they work perfectly in tandem, because a hemp flavor just isn't as delicious as a blood orange flavor. Whereas in the Queen City hemp, it's, well, it's also very hard to disregard the flatness of it. Like, this is just so flat. Yeah, but it's it's not it's not enough blood orange. They definitely have the exact same hemp base in all of their like all of their different flavors have the exact same um drop of hemp oil that go in there. And it's a very specific strong hemp flavor. It's like you made a shoe out of some hemp fiber and you walked that walked around with that shoe for a year and then you you grind it down and you squeeze it in, into one drop of oil and it's like it's a strong shoe flavor. Yeah, that's not very good. I'm sorry. That's the flatness. It just not, doesn't have the sharp bubbles. Even the wild CBD that's already been open for like 15 minutes is way sharper bubbles. Yeah, that's a five. Queen City Hemp, that's a five. It's not like gross or anything, but that's not good enough. That's just not good enough. <clears throat> what else is going on? I just got a message from my AA sponsor. He sends me these um, um, news articles from um, satire news, like The Onion, things like that. And this one, the headline is, Man has few days left to be a disgusting slob before completely turning his life around on January 1st. So why did he send me that? He sent me that because... What we find in AA is not, doesn't have anything to do with the specificities of what's in the bottle, you know? Nothing about the specificities of a pint of beer has anything to do with it. What we find there is people who think like us, and that's how they think. Man has few days left to be a disgusting slob before completely turning his life around on January 1st. They think... I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. It's like, I found a bunch of people in those rooms that think exactly the way I think. Which is weird, because I always would think in this like specific kind of maladaptive way, and then I'd try to talk to someone about it, and they, I'd realize that they don't think about it the same way, and I would also realize that my way of thinking about it isn't very good. Like, my way doesn't make so much sense. And that's good to realize, I guess, but it's actually not that helpful to just talk to someone about it and have realize that they are healthy and you're not. Like, that doesn't really cure you. But for some reason, it helps more to sit in a room and hear people put out, like, hear people explain their crazy ideas in their head and to realize that, yeah, Fuck, those are exactly the same stupid ideas that I have. For some reason, the heartening experience of that is very helpful. And that's when you can sort of move away from thinking like that. It's very strange. I can't really explain why that's why it works like that. And one of those things is this, the thing of how you know, man has only a few days left to be a disgusting slob before changing his whole life on January 1st. Because I always thought about life like that. 
everything is going to be completely different very soon. And part of that, I guess, is to... It's implied that you don't like the way things are right now. That's one part of it. And I think that's fair to say. I just didn't really like the things, the way things were. And I always thought that I was on the cusp of changing everything. And uh, I would talk to people about it and people would think about things differently. And I'd realized that my way of thinking about it didn't make a lot of sense. And also I would realize that like years went by and I realized that I'm always thinking that in the next four to eight weeks, everything in my life is going to change. And then it never does. And then three years pass and five years pass and seven years pass. And it's like, oh, and then you, you get to this dissonance where you're like, okay, on the one hand, I know that for the last seven years, I have thought that things, everything in my life was going to change in the next four to six weeks. But now it's true. This time it's real. Because as much as I could observe that in myself, I also never stopped believing it. <laughs> like, even at 28, I could be like, I could say decisively that for 10 years straight, I've thought that I've been on the cusp of everything changing. And at the same time at 28, I'd be like, but I honestly believe that in the next four to eight weeks, everything in my life is going to change. I'm going to go from a state of pre-success to a state of success. I'm going to go from a state of unhappiness to a state of satisfaction. It's about to happen now. And a part of that was I'm going to go from a state of, you know, getting wasted to a state of getting, getting sober. And a part of it was honestly this, the novel that I was writing, where I just always felt like the novel was always done. And it, I mean, all of this was something I would talk about out loud to the point where my best friend, Sebastian, he had this thing where he, he said, he would always say, some people describe the novel as millenarian. <laughs> which is like such an erudite, pretentious, <laughs> so stupid, so stupid. It's like, oh, we're just two very stupid people. But but millenarian is like a category of Christian cult where they believe that things are about to change. Like the second coming is about to happen or a comet is about to destroy Earth or, well, mostly the second coming. Like mostly it's something in the vein of, in a very near future, Jesus will come back and trigger, you know, pull open the seventh seal, you know, um, whatever it's called, revelations, all that stuff will happen and earth will explode and we'll all go to heaven and everything will be different. That's like millenarian. Christian cult thinking. The idea that, because as much as I'm crazy for thinking it, I do think it's a little bit universal, and I do think that the human brain, for some reason, has a propensity to think like that. I don't know why. It doesn't seem very useful. But for some reason, the human brain is prone to think that we're at the very, very, very last stage of something and everything's about to change. Because, I mean, there's examples of people in the 15th century writing religious texts about how the second coming is about to happen and everything is about to change. And, and they convince people that that's true. God, that wild CBD, blood orange. Oh my God, that's delicious. I'm about to just buy a couple of cases, I'll tell you. But, um, yeah... So I always had this millenarian thinking about myself and I could never move away from it. And then 
I started going to these meetings and for some reason what we talk about in those meetings isn't what's in the bottle or the specificities of a pint of beer. It's, it's rather our thinking. And it has very little to do with alcohol, actually. And I don't even think that alcohol was my problem so much. I don't even think I was drinking that much for most parts of my life. You know, there's a lot of other stuff, but... But, um, yeah, it's called alcoholic thinking. And it's not good. If it was good, they wouldn't call it alcoholic thinking, you know? And I believe that a big part or a common aspect of alcoholic thinking is this millenarian thinking. Where you just, you're unhappy with the now. You're not ready to change anything now because you feel like shit now. But you have this concept that everything will change and then, then you'll be ready and that tomorrow you'll be ready to not drink and everything will change. You're about to change everything. You just can't change everything now. And it's helpful to go to meetings and talk about it and, and, and realize that there are other people with this similar, maladaptive, strange, unhealthy, dysfunctional thinking. And you can listen to them, and you can listen to what led to that thinking for them, and you can listen to what came out of that thinking in their case, and you can look at the before and the after with them, and you can take lessons from that. And it's way more helpful than talking to a healthy person. It's very helpful. And then also... There are just advi there's advice, and I think a big piece of advice is the to just forget about everything, just start over, and make it small, and don't think of it, don't have a big plan, don't even think in terms of four to eight weeks, even though that's not that far in, far in the future. Rather than thinking about four to eight weeks, you should be thinking about today, and you should wake up and you should tell yourself that I'm not going to get wasted today, and that's. All I know, I don't know anything about tomorrow. It's just like today, I'm not going to get wasted. I'm just going to take 24 hours of not getting wasted. And then, you know, ideally you wake up tomorrow and tell yourself the same thing. And, and then, you know, the thing people say is I'll, I'll take another 24. That is what they say. I'll take another 24. God, there's this one guy who always said that in my... Tuesday meeting and I haven't seen him since the pandemic started and we lost a lot of people when the pandemic happened and some of them are probably okay and they're probably just not going to meetings and they're probably just staying sober on their own and a lot of them probably aren't okay and uh, and that's how it goes and uh, I don't know if that guy is okay. But um, millenarian thinking. But yeah, I think I've finally moved away from it where it's like I'm now in a state of almost content and I don't really think that the next four to eight weeks will change anything. I'm, it's a more incremental paradigm right now. I try to think about it in a more incremental way. Where it's like, there are these little things. Like I'm um, learning how to drive, you know? I'm 34 years old and I always thought of myself in these like rigid ways of all the things I can't do. And I always thought, I just can't drive a car. That's just not for me. And then I just, now I'm realizing that I just came up with all these limitations for myself that weren't based in anything. And maybe I can drive a car, you know? <laughs> because anyone can drive a car. <laughs> Pretty much anyone can drive a car, so maybe I can do it. So I'm driving a car and, you know, getting a license soon, and, you know, that's a little incremental change. And that is the size of change that I'm looking for, you know, little changes.
little practical things. Things that might actually be big, but almost what I expect in terms of how they will change my life is small. And that's how I want to think about it. I don't know. It's I'm kind of fumbling around in the dark here, but I'm feeling myself drifting away from the millenarian perspective of expecting everything to be completely different four to eight weeks from now. And for me, that's big because I lived my entire life like that. I always, always thought that the next four to eight weeks was going to change everything. God, it's so crazy to say that. It sounds unconvincing. When I say it, it sounds like you're not going to, you don't believe, you don't believe that me when I say that, but like, I really meant that. It's truer than anyone can understand how much I thought everything was going to be different. Ah, it's so crazy. Anyway, let's do the last water. So this is Bubbler. Blood Orange Mango Mingler. Bubbler antioxidant sparkling water that boosts, energizes, and restores balance. Natural caffeine. The benefits bubbleth over. Yeah. I don't know. Should I read this copy on the side of this can? I think so. Sure, the sparkling personality will make you fall in love at first sip, but then the real magic happens. Fruity effervescence and awesome antioxidants swoop in to balance the body and focus the mind, right before a boost of natural caffeine shows up to save your day. There's a benefit in, benefit in every bubble and a happier you just waiting to, waiting to rise up. It's good coffee. <laughs> I mean, it's good coffee. It's not very good sparkling water. I don't, I haven't liked any of the bubblers so far, but the copy is, you know, it's, they got some puns in there. It's, no spelling errors, but in terms of the flavor has a lot of spelling errors, but let's smell it. Okay. Okay. I see what we're doing. It's like candy blood orange and you know, blood orange is bitter enough that it can stand up to a lot of sweetness and still be a very good flavor. So... This might be very good. It's actually a very nice flavor. Because it's like you have a very clear, real blood orange smell. And then you have a very clear Jolly, Ra Jolly Rancher hard candy smell. And coming together, they could be good. But I'm wary of how all of the different bubblers, they all have way too much sweetener in them. So let's see. Yeah. See, why do you do that? Why do you do that? I don't know if it's aspartame. I don't know if it's stevia. Whatever it is, there's so much of it. Yeah. The fourth ingredient is enzyme-modified stevia extract. Oh, there's so much stevia in this. It's so sweet. There's so much sweetener. Why do you do this? I want to say nice things about your sparkling water, but you have to stop putting so much stevia in it. It like makes my jaw hurt, the amount of stevia in here. Ugh, awful. Undrinkable, nice smell, undrinkable. Two out of 10. What has this year been? For me, this year has really just been a year of online retail. You know, just buying things on the internet. And it's a mixed bag, buying things on the internet. It's a mixed bag, mixed results. Um, for example, yesterday I got this computer mouse. Because I have this specific computer mouse that I like. It's not a new one. It's a really old one. It's from 15 years ago. It's from a company called Steel Series. Now, if you go on Steel Series website, all you see are these gaming, like gaming mouse type of things, where it's like a huge thing with all these like lightning zigzag crack shapes with red and blue and yellow lights blinking inside of them. And you know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't have a computer mouse with blinking lights in it. I'm a grown man. 
but they made a mouse 15 years ago that just has the feel that I want. And it's not that it's the best in any way, it's just what I got used to. And it's re I really need it for Microsoft Word, honestly. That's what I need a mouse for. It's like, I have three different Microsoft Word documents open. I wanna go between them. I wanna move a block of text from here to here. And I wanna think about the text and have nothing take me out of the experience, take me out of the deep work. So I need this like very specific tactile experience that this one mouse provides. That is the mouse that I got used to 15 years ago. Steel series Kinzu. So it's discontinued very, very discontinued. It's been discontinued for like 10 years. I found a website finally where that would actually sell it to me called tabletphonecase.com. So I buy it. It only took a week and I get it yesterday and it's broken. And it's like, I mean, I believe it when I see it, you know. I don't think that they have another one. I think they had one and I think it was broken and I think they were trying to get away with something because I might have to get used to a new mouse. But yeah, that's a mixed bag, you know? That story is a mixed bag. Online retail. And um, in the same vein, I'm realizing that, so there's a pair of glasses that I bought 10, 15 years ago, which are, I've bought maybe 30 pairs of glasses in the last 15, how long have I been wearing glasses? Probably a little bit less than 15 years. But so 10 years ago, I buy a pair of glasses and looking back on all my glasses, it's the one pair that I actually liked. And they broke, they cracked. So I have them, but they're cracked. And I bought them in China at a, man, buying glasses in China is such a trip because they have these high rises where each floor is just full of small stalls and small stores, like 30 stores per floor. And each store is just hundreds of pairs of glasses. And these are all the glasses of the world before they get shipped out to, you know, Italy, America, Nigeria. Like all these countries have their own glasses producers that design their own glasses and come up with their own shit at their own price points. It's all different, but they're all made in China and all the factories just make a couple of extra ones and give them to the high rises, you know, to the glasses markets. So at the glasses markets, they just have all this stuff and they don't know where it's from. It doesn't have a brand. It doesn't have anything. It's just like a piece of plastic. It's a glasses frame. And then they have these machines where they can fit a lens into any frame. It's really quite amazing. And you, you can get any pair of glasses there for like 20 bucks. And then you can haggle it down to 18 bucks if you if you got a little bit of fire in your belly. But um, so 10 years ago, I buy this pair of glasses and they break. And, and the inside of the glasses, they say John Miller eyewear. So that's a clue, right? John Miller eyewear. So I Google that and it's not a thing. Like there's not even a website there. It's not even like there has been a website that doesn't exist anymore. But there is a man named John Miller in the glasses industry. And there is a post from a, a you know, eyewear industry news website from two years ago saying that John Miller joined New Millennium Eyewear as the VP two years ago. So John Miller at some point 10 years ago was probably coming up in the eyewear industry is how I imagine it. And he made some of his own glasses that he put his own name on while he was coming up, you know? And um, they were good. They're very good. It's like a big frame and the ridge part, the bridge part in the middle is really small. So the, the the lenses almost connect. So it's got this sort of like, the, but the thing is that they're fairly normal looking and the frames are fairly thin. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that mostly isn't a big statement because you want to wear a pair of glasses and it shouldn't be too loud. It should just be a pair of glasses that people just accept for what it is. But subconsciously, it sends a little bit of a message. And the message here is big safety goggles. It's like, 
if you took a very, very normal, low-key pair of glasses and put a little bit of a neuro-linguistic programming, un- subconscious messaging thing where it's like they're pretty big and they're pretty brave. And those eyes behind those glasses look pretty safe. And that's the vibe. And so I I, I do a lot of Googling and, and I find John Miller and I find seven companies that he's worked for. I find his LinkedIn. I find all these websites that are connected to him. And then I find these glasses brands that he has worked for. And I look at all of their glasses and I realize that there's especially one brand where the glasses look very similar to what I'm looking for. It's a brand called Imago. So I Google Imago and I find their like German website. It's a German company somehow. And throughout my travels on the internet here, you know, I'm unemployed. It's the year 2020. We try to fill our time with online retail. So throughout my travels looking for these glasses, I email about 30 people asking, hey, I'd like to buy some glasses from you. Can you get me a shipment of these? Because I feel like talking to these people, you can't say I want one pair of glasses (laughs) because then that's just like spam pile, spam folder. You have to be like, what's your minimum purchase? Like how many do I have to buy for this to be worth your time? Because really I'll throw a, a lot of money at this problem. So I'm pretending to be a glasses wholesaler. And I also... emailed John Miller on his German website and I sent him a LinkedIn message and I also found his Pinterest and I sent him a message on Pinterest and I don't know he didn't respond let's just say he didn't respond but I did find an Indian man who still it sounds like he's still selling a lot of Imago glasses his name is Singh Mr. Singh And Mr. Singh has assured me that if I agree to buy a hundred pairs of glasses, which I do, then Mr. Singh will help me. So, you know, that's where I'm at. That's what's going on in my life. You know, it's not, it's not a whole lot, but yeah. Was there anything else? I don't think so. Man has a few days left to be a disgusting slob before completely turning life around on January 1st. It captures the whole thing, you know? Because the thing about AA is like, you go in, you're cautious, you notice that people think like you, you see a lot of similarities in their thinking, and then when you get to a state where you're just... You're, you've figured out how to be sober, you stay sober, you keep going to meetings. At that point, it's just, you're just there to remind yourself of it all, of how you used to think. Because if you forget that you, it's very easy to forget that you have a problem. And if you forget, then you go, you go back out, as it's called. And um, at this point, when it's really a, a state of maintenance, spiritual maintenance, one of the most helpful things is to really just make fun of it all because this thing that my a sponsor is sending me is it's a it's a joke headline and a joke headline might be the most efficient reminder because if he because it i don't know you can't text someone and be like hey remember how you used to think stupid about everything You can't say that. That doesn't... Apropos what, you know? It's too much of a non sequitur. But you can send someone a funny article. You can. It's not seen as a non sequitur. Anyway, that doesn't totally make sense, but... But that's that's how I... uh, That's where I'm at, okay? So, Happy New Year, everyone. I hope 2020 was... um, Something you could... um, Something you could live with. You know? I know that isn't true for about 300,000 Americans, but but there you go. Anyway, um, thanks for listening, and um, 
Go, uh, go get some merch, okay? Shop.spreadshirt.com slash sparkling water. Go get yourself a throw pillow. Thank you. All right, folks. That was our review of Blood Orange from Wild CBD, Blood Orange from Queen City Hemp, and Blood Orange Mango Mingler from Bubbler. If you enjoy the podcast, uh, send me a message or something. And that brings us to our closing segment, Sparkling Water, Sparkling Mind. For today's meditation session, I would like you to have a seat, sit up a little bit more straight, and leave your eyes open. And then proceed to take a few deep breaths and arrive in the moment. Notice where you have tension in your body. And see if there's anything you can do to relax that tension. Think about how things are going to be okay. Biden won the election, you know. There's a vaccine. There's a second vaccine. AstraZeneca coming in with the third vaccine, you know. 2020 is over. Let all that tension just melt away from the top of your head and run down the sides of your head in liquid form or gelatinous form or candle wax form or whatever works for you. And just let it run down over your body and over your shoulders and let it disappear out of your life. And then sit here with that relaxed feeling. Just sit with that for a moment. Ah, and I'll just be here drinking my sparkling waters.